0: Have you ever struggled with understanding the Word of God? You're not alone. Let's look at the scriptures together and understand how we can apply biblical principles in our daily lives, right here on the Creekside Podcast. Welcome to the first podcast with Pastor Drew. My name is James Piva House, and today we're going to be talking about Hebrews 8. Before we get started, Pastor Drew, why don't you introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, uh, my name is Drew. Uh, I'm here with my good friend James, and we both serve the Lord here at Creekside Fellowship out in the metropolis of Castallion Springs, Tennessee. It was funny, a couple weeks ago or a couple months ago, I was ordering a computer from Apple, and you know, they're in California and all this kind of stuff, and I said, where do you ship it to? And I said, ship it to Castellian Springs, and he said, "What? what is that? Where is that? <laughs> And uh, it's a small town in the middle of nowhere, and uh, we serve at a church together and serve the Lord as faithfully as we can, and we're just uh, we're here today to try to serve our people and to try to talk about the Bible and hopefully edify each other and edify those who listen today. So if you're listening to this, uh, so glad that you tuned in, and I hope that you enjoy our conversation we're going to have today.
0: That's right. We're going to have a really good time. Now, I'm going to be asking you a couple of questions, and hopefully it'll just help us understand a little bit more about the Scripture that we're going to be going through. Um, in your opinion, what is this podcast set up to do? Why are we here today?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I was, I was listening to uh, a lecture yesterday uh, of a prominent prominent pastor, and he was talking about how in the West today, in the world we live in, we have more access to the Bible than any other generation in history. You think about it, I've got a I've got a study Bible in my lap right now, and it's it's nice. Uh, I've got several Bibles at home. I've got one on my nightstand. I've got one on my dinner table, and I've got one right. And I've got one in my in my sitting chair. You know, I've got like Bibles stashed everywhere, and part of that's intentional. So that anytime I'm sitting down, I can find a Bible and read it. But I've got a Bible on my phone. Uh, I can say, Hey Siri. Maybe not Siri, but some app. Hey, read me the Bible, and it will read the Bible to me. We have so much access to the Bible, and yet, Bible literacy is like at an all-time low in our culture. For most people, one thing we do at Creekside is we every every Sunday when we worship together, someone will just stand up and read from the Bible. Right now, we're reading through the Book of Ephesians in our worship service together. For some people, that's the only time they'll hear the Bible read. Throughout their week. And you just got to consider that. So, what we're trying to do is trying to provide an avenue for folks to engage with scripture. So, maybe you're riding down the road listening to this, uh, you're commuting to or from work. Uh, Maybe you're spending time at the gym or working out or maybe you're cleaning the house or whatever it is, but we just want to spend some time giving some attention to the Word of God. And so at our church this year at Creekside, we've uh, spent some time developing a Bible reading plan. The Navigators came out with this plan uh, years ago called 5 by 5 by 5 So it's five minutes a day, five days a week, and uh, that whole idea. And so we've kind of adapted that for our church to read through the New Testament together this year and started in January. And it's taken some time to kind of get the podcast up off the ground, but one of the things we want to do is just kind of walk through these texts of Scripture together as a church, and hopefully we're all reading the Word together letting the Word of God dwell in us, and and hopefully seeing fruit from that is is my prayer. So the reason we're doing this podcast today is just to kind of uh, major on some of those themes, talk about maybe some troubling passages of Scripture, get some help on what they mean, and then how to apply it to our lives.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think personally, even when I'm in my own studies, when I'm reading Scripture, there's there's questions that come across my mind, and there's not always that outlet someone to call or text and say, hey, what does this mean? So I really appreciate you taking the time out to do a podcast that goes through this Scripture with your congregation that will actually help dig deeper and help us understand the Word of God. Well, with that, are you ready to get started? Let's jump into it. Perfect. We're going to be reading through uh, chap- uh, chapter 8 of Hebrews, correct? That's right.
1: Uh, and I've got it in front of me, so I'll just I'll just read this. And the and you're saying might be saying like, hey, wouldn't it make more sense to start in chapter one? And in a perfect world, yes. Uh, but given the given the constraints of uh, our Bible reading plan and kind of where our church is at right now, this is kind of around the portion that we're expecting those who are doing this Bible reading plan to be at. And Hebrews eight is just such a great chapter. There's so much good stuff here. So it's 13 verses. Let me just read it all, uh, and then James is going to kind of help us and walk us through some some questions. Maybe we should ask. So. This is Hebrew eight, Hebrews chapter eight. Now the point in what we are saying is this: we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest. not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. And so I show no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away.
0: Amen. Thank you for reading that out loud for us. And again, this may be the only time that someone listening hears the Word of God this week, Yeah, you know? Um, And so I I so appreciate you taking the time to do that. Um, One of the things that sticks out to me in this is he keeps saying the word priest. Right. And when I think of priest, of course, I think of uh, the Catholic Church with a confessional or, you know, whatever that would look like. And so being a Christian, sometimes I don't understand what a priest is. What What's the point of Jesus being the high priest? Yeah,
1: that's great. I, I always think about, we you know, we talk about how the Bible is relevant for our everyday lives. And so I just imagine you're waking up at, you know, six o'clock on a Monday morning, and you're pouring yourself a cup of coffee and you're sitting down at your kitchen table wherever you'd read your Bible and you open up the Bible and you start reading about priests and you're like, man, there is nothing that is, I'm not going to encounter any priests today, you know, while I drive to work or do, nothing could seem more irrelevant for me than to talk about the priesthood on a Monday morning. Like why in the world uh, is that a big deal? But we've got to see that in the Bible, uh, the priesthood is a big deal. Uh, and, And Hebrews especially is a book that really builds on the Old Testament in a dramatic kind of way and kind of talks about what's new in the New Testament and how it relates to what's old in the Old Testament. So the priesthood is this idea uh, that there is one who comes and intercedes before God on behalf of other people. And so in the Old Testament, the priests would come, and they would be the ones who would prepare and offer sacrifices. And in some way, you would come and you would bring your gift to this priest. You bring your sacrifice to this priest, and the priest would offer that, or he would accept that sacrifice, and he would essentially tell you, "Okay, you're you've brought this sacrifice in faith. You're good with God." It's kind of the it's kind of the idea that would be there. Um, offering these sacrifices was a way of uh, demonstrating devotion to God. But when these animals, for instance, were sacrificed, their blood would be shed, and, and the shedding of the blood would point to the remission of sins, the forgiveness of sins. Like playing off of that, in every religion, every ancient religion, ancient Near Eastern religion, there was this idea that the gods are angry, that the gods are fighting against each other. If you read, like, you know, Uh, Greek mythology, or you read about ancient Near Eastern uh, philosophies and theologies and that kind of stuff. There's all these, there's a pantheon of God, there's all these gods, and some gods have the ability to make your life better. And the way that you make, the way that you get these gods to like you or to make your life better is by offering sacrifices to them. And so uh, there's all these, all these rituals and all these things that we see in these pagan cultures that we maybe would expect to see in, uh, in Christianity, but what we see in Christianity is something totally different. It's not that God is angry with us or that he uh, you know is distant from us, but actually he's he's near to us. And scripture says that he's everywhere. And with that, Jesus comes and acts as our priest. He is our great high priest, he is the one who stands in the gap, so to speak, between us and and God. So in the Old Testament, you would bring your sacrifice to, um, to, to the priest, and the priest would tell you essentially that you're good with God. Jesus is the great high priest, but he is also our sacrifice. Mm. That's the big deal. That, that, that's, where, that's where the beauty of this passage comes in. Uh, he comes to demonstrate to us that God loves us. That Not that God is uh, angry with us, but demonstrates, uh, the Bible says that it, God shows his love to us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not only do we have a priest who's willing to offer sacrifices, we have a priest who's willing to be our offering. So this idea of Jesus being the great high priest is the idea that Jesus is the one who makes us good with God.
0: That's so if, good. if you want
1: to boil down Hebrews 8, I guess you could say that in, in, in that kind of fashion. Now, obviously, there's a lot we could go into here. There's a lot of, a lot of rocks maybe we could turn over here, um, but that but that's the idea here. Looking at, verses, looking at verse 3, just for example. Every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. It is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. What does Jesus offer? He gives us himself. He, he pours out himself for his people, for those people that he loves. And so it's not like the ancient Near East where I wonder if the gods are mad at me. I wonder what's going to happen in my life today. Uh, you know, is there something I could do to make the gods make my life easier? Jesus has says, no, I've done it all. I've done everything that's necessary for your life to to be what I desire it to be. You know, um, you got troubles, you got struggles, you got difficulties. Bring them to me. I'll give you I'll give you a new life, you know, I'll I'll make you a new creation. I'll make sure you are good with God. Your hope doesn't rest on what you can do. You're talking about, uh, you know, Catholic confession or, you know, a a priest interceding for God in that kind of way. Uh, Jesus says, your your worth is not based on what you do, but on what I have done in your place. That's the idea of Hebrews chapter 8. That's the good news of the gospel we see uh, exemplified here. Now, you got to know a lot about the Old Testament to kind of make all these pieces fit together. And he, the author of Hebrews is writing to his audience, assuming they know a lot about the Old Testament, right? And so one of the tragedies of our day and age, like I said, the people don't read their Bibles a whole lot, is we miss out on the richness of this because we're not acquainted with the Old Testament. But here we see, if we're acquainted with the Old Testament and know kind of what a priest does and knows how know how Jesus fills that office then we have an understanding of what Jesus has done for us. In a way, I mean, it's like it's like reading a coloring book and flipping through, and then all of a sudden the colors all burst out on the pages. Like that's what we see kind of here in Hebrews 8. We understand what God was doing in the Old Testament and giving the people a model of sacrifice, giving them Levitical laws, and these parts of our Bible reading we skip over a lot of the time, right? giving him all of these structures. Now in the New New Testament, in the New Covenant, we see why God did all that stuff, is to point to Christ, mm-hmm. to point to Christ as our priest.
0: That's a lot of information there. If, I, if you had to break it down into why is Jesus being a high priest such good news for us, can you break that down into layman terms that says this is what it is, this is the good news, this is the gospel?
1: Yeah, that's great. Uh, I'm going put to put it verse number 6 of Hebrews chapter 8. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is more excellent than the old, As the covenant He mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. Jesus Christ does for us what we could not do for ourselves. By His being a great high priest, by His telling us, proclaiming to us that we can be good with God, that we can be justified before a righteous and holy God, Uh, We we can't get there without this, without Jesus being a priest. You know, we oftentimes in theology, we can talk about the threefold office of Christ. And I know you said in layman's term, don't use that kind of uh, terminology, but I think that's the terminology scripture uses. So Jesus holds these three offices, the role uh, the office of a prophet, of a priest and of a king. And he's the great prophet. He's the great priest. And He's the great king. In Hebrews, the author is really focusing on his priesthood to show how it's better than the Old Testament, better than the things that happened in under the, the Levitical law. So, for for one example here, it says Jesus mediates a better covenant. It's enacted on better promises. To boil it down in layman's terms, Jesus is better. Whatever you're looking at, whatever you're you're hoping for, Jesus is going to be better than that. So, let me give you an example from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there is this idea of the Day of Atonement. And it was this one day every year you would come and you would bring a lamb and the lamb would be, and the lamb would be sacrificed, uh, for, for the sins and the whole nation of Israel would come on the day of atonement and they would have a lamb that would be slaughtered for their sins. You know how often you had to do that every single year. So we just got out of 2020, right? It's a crazy year. We're all hoping 2021 would be a much better year, but no matter what happened in 2020 or 2021, you still had to bring that sacrifice. It wasn't a it wasn't a, a condition upon how good you were that year, right? So I think we talk about Santa Claus, you know, like hey, you know, if you're really good, Santa will bring you lots of toys. Well, it didn't matter how good you were; you had to bring a sacrifice every year, no matter what happened. What was that? What did that say? That was a reminder that you you're a sinner, you have sinned year after year, no matter how good you've been or no how many things you've done right. There's sin in your life; needs to be repented of. The way that you, uh, you know, cleanse yourself is by bringing a sacrifice, and, and that sacrifice would essentially uh, sacrifice brought in faith. They would they would demonstrate that you're you're good with God. You know, this this idea that your sins have been covered. How often did Jesus have to bring a sacrifice? One time, once for all. Uh, we are not under the Old Testament sacrificial system. We don't have to bring a sacrifice to cover our sins. Why? Because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, He was like a lamb without blemish or without spot. He was the 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 lamb who's uh, the lamb of God who uh, takes away the sins of the world. You know, is what Scripture tells us. That's the good news of the new covenant. That I don't have to wander around, uh, sit around wondering if I'm good with God. Jesus has told me that I am, and He showed me that I am. Not because I'm good, but because he is good, because Jesus is better than the Old Testament sacrifices.
0: I asked for layman terms and it's Jesus is better. Yeah. How much, (laughs) I don't know how much clearer you could be. Um, I I tell you what, in verses 8 through 12, uh, that's a direct quote from Jeremiah chapter 31. um, And it talks about the new covenant. Can you tell? The listeners, what is the new covenant?
1: Yeah, Jeremiah is uh, one of my favorite books of the Old Testament, and particularly Jeremiah thirty-one. I remember uh, when I was uh, when I was first really studying uh, to to enter the the ministry when I was uh, fresh in seminary. I remember I I had read through the Bible uh, you know time and time again, but I was reading through a commentary. There is a guy uh, who teaches at Southern Seminary. We're to seminary. His name's Tom Schreiner. He's written a book called The King in His Beauty. Uh, and if there's one book that I wish every Christian would read, I think it might be that one. Um, it's essentially a, a commentary on the whole Bible. And he starts in Genesis and ends in Revelation, and he talks about this idea that the Bible is showing us the king and his beauty, you know, the triune God and all of his, all of his glory, and, and obviously focusing on the work of Christ. And it wasn't until I had been reading uh, Dr. Schreiner's work on Jeremiah and talking about the New Covenant, and then I went to my Bible And I read this idea in Jeremiah 31. Let me just read it again, um, just for, and then I'll just give some thoughts here. Uh, It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. So I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. What's the point of the new covenant? The Lord doesn't remember our sins. The Lord doesn't hold our sins against us. How can He do that? How could God be just and tell us that He doesn't remember our sins anymore? Because justice requires punishment for sin, right? If we're going to talk about justice, that means we want those who have done wrong to get the reward for their wrongdoing, right? Get what they the what they deserve for that wrongdoing. If someone commits murder, we expect that they suffer some kind of punishment for that. But here in verse twelve, it says that the Lord will, will remember. The sins of his people no more. How could God do that? Well, it's because Jesus is the high priest. He's the one who makes us good with God. He's the one who takes away our sin. So, what does the new covenant have to do with all of this? What, why, why, why use this language? Well, the the idea of covenant uh, is kind of like the the spine of the skeleton of the Bible. You know, the co- the idea of covenant is at the is, it's kind of at the center uh, of of the Bible. It's really hard to talk about the Bible without talking about the idea of covenant and the idea of covenant is a promise. And here we have an old covenant contrasted with a new covenant. And I just want to kind of break we could we could dive so deep into this it would not be beneficial to anybody but just kind of break this down into the simpler terms. The old covenant was the idea of what was given at Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus. So when you think of the old covenant, think of the 10 commandments and the three chapters or the four chapters that follow after the giving of 10 commandments in Exodus 21 through 24, which are often called judgments. Right? Think about When you think about the Old Covenant, think about that and then think about the book of Deuteronomy, which is the second giving of the law. And I know that, that might sound kind of complex, but that's what the word Deuteronomy actually means. So the idea was God had redeemed Israel from Egypt, graciously redeemed them. Israel didn't do anything to merit redemption. God redeemed them by His grace it says that he took Israel by the hand in verse 9 of Hebrews 8. It says he took Israel by the hand, led them out of the land of Egypt, and then he brings them to Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, God kind of stamps Israel and says, you are my people. The way you're going to demonstrate you're my people is by keeping my rules. And so God gives them commandments. He gives them the 10 commandments, the Decalogue, if you want to use a theological term. And then, He gives them these other rules called the judgments that are there, and those kind of make up the book of the covenant right there. And he says, if you want to demonstrate, if you're going to be my people, demonstrate that by keeping my rules. Well, what happened? It says in verse 9 that Israel did not continue in that covenant and i show no concern for them declares the lord now you might say well that sounds that sounds kind of harsh like god turns his back on his people well and if you read uh, in deuteronomy there's this idea of the blessings and the curses that uh, that that if if the people of god do what god tells them to do if they obey his if they obey his laws they're going to be blessed and guess what happens if they don't obey his laws they're going to be cursed So it it, it seems like this really black and white, do good and good will happen to you, uh, do bad and bad will happen to you. But we got to understand all of that is underscored by this covenant of grace. It's not as if Israel worked their way into God's good favor by their deeds. No, God graciously redeemed them and then called them to live in a certain kind of way. But Israel did not do that. They did not walk in God's ways, and so God judged them. And that's what you read about in a lot of the Old Testament. It's a story of Israel rebelling against God's laws, against God's commandments. We're like Israel a lot of the time, right? Uh, we're the ones who we receive God's good grace, but we kind of go our own way. Now, here in Hebrews uh, chapter eight, God is making clear to his church what he has prophesied in the Old Testament, in Jeremiah chapter thirty one, and then in verse ten it says, For this is the covenant. I will make with the house of Israel. It says, I will put my law into their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. It's the same idea that God gave to his people Israel at Mount Sinai. But at Mount Sinai, where was the law written? It was written on tablets of stone. The people of uh, Israel were commanded to write out the laws of the Lord. The Shema In Deuteronomy 6 says that you're to take these take these testaments to take the law and to bind it on your forehead to put it to talk about it when you go on the road you do all these different kinds of things now where is the, the law hidden where is god's uh commandment it's hidden in our hearts it's written on our hearts it says that i will be their god and they shall be my people how do we know we're god's people because god's law is written on our hearts by his spirit he He gives us a new heart. He gives us a heart of flesh, exchanges it for the heart of stone. That's what the new covenant does. That's what the new covenant promises. And look at verse 11. It says, They shall not teach each one his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Now here's where the rubber kind of meets the road. And here's really where the difference is, I would say in in large part, between the old covenant and the new covenant. In the old covenant, they gave the sign of circumcision, uh, they gave the, the signs of keeping the law. You were, an, you were an Israelite if you were born into it, and then there were these customs that kind of made sure you remained an Israelite. right? So you would accept the sign of circumcision, um, and you would try to keep the law to the best of your ability in the Old Covenant. But the problem was there were people, as the Scripture talks about, there were people who were Israelites in terms of their ethnicity, but they were not Israelites in terms of their obedience, right? So they they accepted the sign of circumcision. Uh, they would call themselves by God's name. They would say they were God's people, but they would not obey God's law. That sounds really familiar. <laughs> uh, yeah, and and the, the problem was they would, they would claim the promises of the covenant, but they would not live in light of the, the rules or the rituals of the covenant. And so with that, They proved that they actually were not God's people by the way that they live. Now there's a difference. The difference now is that everyone who is a part of the new covenant is known by God. In the old old covenant, there would be people who would be a part of what's called the covenant community. They would be a part of the formal people of God, but they wouldn't actually know God. Right, so they be Israelite in name only, but with no real relationship with God. Now in the new covenant, the covenant Jesus gives us, everyone who is called by God's name knows God. In verse 12, the, 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 I think the culmination of these promises, that I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Knowing God also bears with it the understanding that our sins will be forgiven. We understand He's gracious and merciful towards those who call upon Him. And knowing God begins with understanding that I'm not God, right? And I think that's a that's a really important thing for us to consider when we come to this. We read about covenant faithfulness. We read about all these things. We read about the Old Testament. The idea here is who can forgive sins? I can't forgive myself of my sins. I can sin against you and you can forgive me for the the wrongdoing against you. But every sin I commit against you is also a sin against God Almighty because you're made in God's image. Who can ultimately be the one who forgives sins? It's only the Lord. And how can God forgive sins? He can only forgive sins through judging someone on behalf of those sins. If God were not to judge, He would not be just. How does God forgive us of our sins? He forgives us of our sins by judging Jesus in our place as the perfect, spotless sacrifice. And in light of that, we now get the good news of the gospel, right? That we are justified before God because of Christ's perfect sacrifice in our place. So to break it down, when we place our faith and our trust in Jesus... We get none of the consequences of our sins because Jesus bore them in our place. And we get all of the benefits of knowing God because we are united to Christ by our faith in Him. That's the good news of the New Covenant.
0: In verse 13, it says that the Old Covenant is obsolete. And does that mean that the Ten Commandments are no longer important to Christians? Uh, that's a great question, and there's no, no no shortage
1: of ink spilled on this topic. So if you want to read more about this topic, I'm sure uh, you can find some helpful resources to help you think about it. Um, but the idea of the Old Covenant being obsolete uh, does not mean that it's unimportant. But the idea is that the way we get to God is not through sacrifices in the Old Covenant. It's not through keeping the rules it's not through obeying the law because ultimately we can't obey the law, right? In our sinfulness, in our flesh, uh, the scripture says that any person who uh, disobeys one part of the law is guilty of all of it, right? So we might keep nine of the Ten Commandments, but if we've broken the one, right, we're guilty of all of it. And even more than that, there's more rules in the law than just those Ten Commandments, right? Uh, those are kind of the, the most succinct summary of, of what's expected of God's people. But we can't keep the law. So what it's saying here is that the the way we get to God, the way you know you're good with God, is not by your obedience. It's by Christ's obedience on your behalf. You know, a lot. Of, I know people say that we're uh, we're saved by faith and not by works, and I understand what they're saying by that. But I'm saved by works, just not my own. I'm saved by Christ's work on my behalf, right? Uh, and I know that can be a kind of tongue in cheek way of, of saying it, but that's the idea here. The old covenant is obsolete. In the fact, that's not how we merit a right relationship with God. That's not how we get a right relationship with God. It's through Christ that we do that. Um, And the second part of verse 13 says, And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Some people will read this and say, Listen, we're New Covenant Christians. We're not Old Covenant Christians. Therefore, the Old Testament is not really important for us as Christians. Now, i got real problems with that. You know why? Because most of the New Testament is like commentary on the Old Testament, right? The ideas that we see in the New Testament are formulated and furthered by the Old Testament narrative. The Bible tells one cohesive story about God's redemption of His people. If we throw away the Old Testament and say, this, hey, this isn't important for me anymore, well, we're not following Jesus. Because <laughs> you know what Jesus taught from? Is the Old Testament. Jesus would have been so familiar with the Old Testament. He would have, he would have drawn the the, the principles and the truths that he taught straight out of the text of the Old Testament. The, if the Old Testament is obsolete, then Hebrews 8 is obsolete, because Hebrews 8 is mostly a quotation of the Old Testament. I've got a I've got a, I mentioned Tom Schreiner uh earlier. I've got his comments here on Hebrews in front of me and just want to just read uh, a portion of it here. Um he writes under his comments on verse 13: he says, Now that the new covenant has arrived, The old one is obsolete and no longer plays a role. Jeremiah's prophecy that the old was about to disappear has now become a reality, and thus Hebrews is not suggesting that the old covenant exists and is close to disappearing. Its days as a legally binding contract are over. As Cockrell, another commentator, says, "...since the new has come in Christ, the old is longer near to..." but has definitively passed away as a way of relating to God. He said it probably more succinctly than I could have, but that's the idea there. So hear me when I say this. The Old Testament is so important for the Christian life. I think one of the reasons we have many anemic Christians and Christians who aren't saturated in the Bible is because we haven't highlighted the Old Testament in the way that we should. So one of the ways we try to combat against this here at Creekside is right now we're uh, going on a sermon series through the book of Amos. like We're knee-deep in it right now, and we're just unpacking what the Old Testament, what the Old Covenant has to say to us as Christians, as those who are part of the New Covenant. The Old Covenant is still helpful for us in so many ways. It's not binding in the same way. That, I think, is the major distinction here. And so you ask, Is the are the Ten Commandments unimportant for us as Christians? Well, understand that one of the main things that you were taught whenever you became a Christian in the early church, one of the main things you were taught was the Lord's Prayer and the Ten Commandments. So if the earliest Christians, those who might, might have even read the book of Hebrews, thought that the things that are important that we teach new Christians are the Lord's Prayer, and the Ten Commandments. And I think we as Christians here in the 21st century, we should also give high priority to the Ten Commandments. Another reason for that is that you see all of the Ten Commandments taught in some fashion in the New Testament, either by the mouth of Jesus or in the writings of Paul, you see all of the Ten Commandments reiterated and retaught, with the exception of the Sabbath, which is another discussion for another time. But uh, I think there's a I think there's some some real weightiness to the idea there um, that all of these commandments, all the Ten Commandments, all the Ten Words, are given to us by God for our for our profit, and we we are fools if we discard the Ten Commandments because God has given them to us. The way in which they are binding is different. though. We're not saved under the old covenant. We're saved under the new covenant given to us in Christ's blood. And here's one last thing. One thing I love about this is that here at Creekside, every Sunday we make a habit of observing communion together, the Lord's Supper. And every week I'll stand up there and say, this is the new covenant given to us in Christ's blood. Right, That's the idea that we know when we observe this meal together that we are good with God not because of our works but because of our faith and our union with Christ. That's what's good about the New Covenant.
0: Thank you so much, Drew, for being here at the Creekside Podcast spending a little time getting to know the Word of God. Just to wrap up, do you have any final thoughts on Hebrews chapter 8? Yeah, I would just say a few things.
1: Uh, one... Notice what a big deal the author of Hebrews makes about the new covenant. Uh, it's, he, he majorly quotes a significant portion of Jeremiah 31. I think one of the things that might be helpful if you come to this in your Bible reading, uh, I'm one of those people that likes to write in my Bible, write stuff that's relevant, cross-references, that kind of stuff. Uh, maybe one of the things that would be helpful is to go back to Jeremiah 31 and read the context from where he's getting this quotation. I think that might be helpful to you uh, in your Bible reading. And the second is to understand that this is this is not supposed to create problems for us as Christians in how we read the Bible but as Christians, it's supposed to create praise. You know? We're supposed to praise God for the new covenant. Not to sit back and say, well, what about all of the stuff in the the obviously there's going to be some some issues we got to work through and see how it all fits together. But man, we should praise God that Jesus is the great high priest. That means whatever's happened today, I can be good with God. Not because of my works but because of what Christ says, and I can be justified before God, the Father Almighty. I know I'm going to sin today, not because I want to, but because I'm human. Verse 12 tells me this, that God will be merciful towards my iniquities, and he will remember my sins no more. If you're looking for good news, you're not going to find any news that's better than that.
0: Amen. I can't believe it's the end of our first podcast. I can't wait to do it again. Thank you for joining us, everyone. And Drew, thank you for the time teaching us God's word. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to this podcast today.
1: I know there's a ton of things you could have spent your time listening to, but James and I are grateful that you spent some time hanging out with us. If you'd like to learn more about Creekside Fellowship, you can go to our website at creeksidefellowshiptn.com. Uh, You can find our contact info there. If you've uh, enjoyed listening to the podcast, you can rate and review and subscribe and all that fun stuff. And if you have any questions for us, you can email us at info at CreeksideFellowshipTN.org. That's all on our website. You can also connect with us on social media. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen today. Hope you'll tune in next time.